The real answer is every day, man. Especially lately. The last few weeks, I've just been like, every day you wake up and you're like, shit, I got to do this again. But like today, I had to go out to New Jersey to see a bunch of Whole Foods and do some demos out there. And I woke up feeling horrible. I felt like I got hit by a truck this morning. And like the last thing I want to do is get in my freaking car and go to Whole Foods and set up a demo table. But I did it. But on the drive back to the city, I was just like, God, I feel so blue. Like, I just feel out of it. I feel down. And I called Paul Vogie from Ourobora, who's an amazing beverage founder, someone I really respect. And we wrapped for 45 minutes. He gives me his insight. I give him mine. But we also talk about just life, man. Like, that's that's how we get through all of this, I imagine, that we have these things that we get to look forward to that are bigger than what we're doing in this microcosm of a business. Welcome to the Seven Hats Podcast. My name is Yuval Selig, and I've been on the entrepreneurial roller coaster for over 20 years. I've experienced it all throughout my journey, the grind, burnout, failure, and ultimately, success. The turning point for me was realizing that building a successful company is meaningless if you neglect the other significant areas of your life. So today, I'm inviting you to join me on an adventure through those seven areas, what I call the seven hats. Every week, my guests and I will drop valuable insights and pearls of wisdom, helping, motivating, and inspiring you to get your seven hats in order and deliver real impact with meaning. So let's get going. Welcome, Seven Hatters. Get ready for an episode packed with entrepreneurial magic as we chat with Noah Wunsch and unravel the secrets of a CPG entrepreneur's life, diving deep into the realms of hard work, resilience, and the art of bouncing back from failure and tapping into hats one, three, and four, the soul, the servant, and the entrepreneur. Noah is a dynamo in the business and digital strategy landscape boasting a diverse career that traverses various industries and roles. Currently at the helm of Ruby Hibiscus as their CEO and founder, Noah has been steering this venture for over two years. His entrepreneurial prowess does not end there. He also serves as a consultant and investor for numerous startups. Before setting sail on his entrepreneurial voyage, Noah was a key figure at Sotheby's, where he infused his strategic vision and leadership. His contributions significantly shaped Sotheby's digital and marketing strategy, leading to notable accomplishments such as the acquisition of Thread Genius and the successful orchestration of their top marketing campaigns. So, if you're prepared to confront your challenges, pivot swiftly and evolve into the entrepreneur who flourishes amidst uncertainty and change, let's roll out the red carpet for Noah on The Seven Hats. Noah, welcome to The Seven Hats. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Well, listen, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. I've gotten to know you through LinkedIn. So what I believe really draws people to you is really how you inspire your up-and-coming entrepreneur. And you do really well in your conversations and your posts, which I think inspires others as well. So you took that brave leap, leaving the safety of a regular paycheck to plunge into the exhilarating yet relentless world of entrepreneurship. And we'll get into that. 
And that's not a stroll in the park, right? But no. yet you're making quite the impression. And one of the best parts of this journey, as I found, is the relationships and connections that you forged. And you certainly nailed that aspect. So I'm thrilled to bring your story to the seven hatters out there. And every captivating story, I think, has a beginning. So Noah, I think the best thing we could do right now is let's dive in and unfold how it all began for you. So where were you born and how was your childhood like? Yeah, so I, I was born in uh, New York City, downtown, right by Washington Square. Nice. Yeah, it was. I mean, it still is. My parents still live right on 9th and University. So, you know, I'm, I'm still very much in the neighborhood to visit them. But my, my childhood was fantastic. I mean, like I have I have really great parents and I have great grandparents. Uh, and I was fortunate to be able to experience a really great life with them, too. But yeah, I, I went to school in Washington Square Park. I went to Grace Church School on 11th Street. Then I went to Riverdale for high school, which I have, <laughs> I have mixed feelings about, but that's that's not their fault. Um, and then I stuck in New York City. I, I went to the new school, Eugene Lang, which I loved. They let me major in something completely ridiculous, which was nonfiction creative writing, which just feels like an absolute juxtaposition. After that, I actually worked at the Paris Review, where I ran business development. I had no experience in that whatsoever, but any chance to work at the Paris Review was just like a no-brainer. So the door was open and I just fully stepped in. After that, a bunch of fashion magazines and media on the business development side. And then I got pushed to a tech company to run business development. We sold in 2016 to Dropbox. I took a little bit of time to travel and figure out what the hell I wanted to do with my life in a happenstance of kismet. Someone I'd consulted for back in my media life had taken over as CMO at Sotheby's auction. So he tapped me and said, you know, we're doing some weird things here. We think you'll really like it. So I, I worked there for three years running global innovation strategy and global e-commerce. And then I lost my mind and started a beverage company. Well, I mean, I think not so fast, okay? You, <laughs> you, you're in CPG beverage and you're yeah. telling me you had a happy childhood, no, no trauma. Is that what you're no. telling me? Yeah, I am. Absolutely. So you're the only CPG founder that did not have trauma as a child. I'm the only one. It's just me. <laughs> no, I look again like I but the trauma that I had is just me being an angsty 16-year-old. I mean like I, I I majored in nonfiction creative writing so that I could essentially write memoirs about, you know, how difficult it was growing up in New York City, which is, you know, that's what you go through when you're a young person. All right. What did your parents do? Uh, my dad runs the family business, which we've had in the family for four generations now, which is, which is really rare and unique. It started in industrial engineering. So we built cranes and forklift trucks for the Navy, the army, and everyone else in America. Um, that industry started shifted overseas in the eighties. And my dad had the foresight to get us into industrial real estate. So that's what we do now. And your mom working with your dad? No, no. She left her full-time job. Uh, to raise me and my brother. I, it's not fair to say that she she didn't work with my father because she absolutely did. She has a big part in the family business too. Yeah. But, you know, she she looked after us. Anyone that knows husband and wife teams, if the husband or wife is the entrepreneur, the other one is also a, exactly. a pseudo entrepreneur. They go through the roller coaster with them. So you have a brother and what, how old and what's your brother doing? 
my brother is four years older than me, mm-hmm. so he's 38, which <laughs> I'm, I'm an older founder, apparently, at 34, which uh, I, I wear proudly. Yes. He works for the family business. Got it. Yeah, and he, he loves it. And your dad was pissed off that you said, no, I don't want to work for the family business. What was the expectation? No, no, he was never pissed off about that. The, the door was always open, but I just... I didn't see it happening at that time. Maybe maybe after Ruby. I mean, very realistically, after Ruby, whether it's successful or not, I I love the idea of working with my brother and my dad and, you know, some security, ideally. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Let's start from the beginning, okay? You left the stability of a full-time job to focus on Ruby, but that was after a lot of success, right, with your previous employments. So what was the pivotal moment? How did you navigate that decision-making process from a really successful career where you're a star to, hey, mom and dad, let me tell you about Ruby. (laughs) So how did that go? Give us a little more context there. You know, the hey, mom and dad thing didn't play as much. Like as as mentioned, a little bit of an older founder. So it wasn't, wasn't the hey mom and dad conversation. I had had that already after I left my tech company to go travel for three months. Like that was the hey mom and dad moment. Yeah. And that took a lot of conversations to get them comfortable with the idea of I'm leaving a stable job and I'm just going to travel for three months. Okay. So I, I had already, I'd gone through that agita and put them through it. So you know, I came out the other side. So I think they trusted that no matter what, I was going to land on my feet. But the Sotheby's part, you know, it it took time to decide to do Ruby, of course. It wasn't something where I popped out of bed and was like, let's just create a beverage company now. Yeah. I think a lot of entrepreneurs have this experience where people just kind of say, at some point, you're going to start a business. You know, you are the type of person who should run a business. And that's been in the back of my head. And in the past, I think I've tried forcing that. I think there was one moment where I, I was tinkering with the idea of a direct-to-consumer umbrella company. Oh, which, wow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can tell that that was a little bit of a forced idea. But with Ruby, it happened organically. I, I was looking to solve a problem in my life. I was consuming too much sugar, and it was coming from the drinks that I was consuming. All of these quote-unquote better-for-you beverages like kombucha and coconut water, they're slammed with sugar. And I was looking for something that was flavorful, but didn't have the sugar. And hibiscus kept coming up as a really great remedy for that. So I just started making it at home, but there wasn't the mentality of like, this is what I've been looking for. Here's my business. And in fact, I fought against it. I I was like, the world does not need another beverage company. (laughs) But slowly, you know, we, we go through the journey. You start researching, you know, sugar consumption in America. And yeah, of course, sugary beverages are the key driver of overconsumption of added sugar in America. And you're like, that's pretty interesting. And you're like, well, does something like this exist already? And you look around and you find some dead bodies and you ask yourself, you know, why did they fail? What can I learn from them? Yeah. And you realize there isn't something in the market. And you start getting your little check boxes. And it took me probably eight to 10 months before I was like, maybe there's really something here. And then I really started talking to every founder that would sit down and have a coffee with me so that I could learn what I was getting myself into. And that was that was really when it started up. So you chose Hibiscus because you want, and I can vouch, I love your product. And I love the Thank fact you. that it's low sugar. 
it just tastes refreshing. It's really awesome. Anyone that has not tried Ruby, definitely go try it. But you chose hibiscus for the fact that you can create a product with less sugar. Are you thinking about introducing other ingredients or are you going to stay with hibiscus all the way? It's too early to say. I mean, look, I think how we built the brand is to dynamically play however we want it to. I think Ruby can have a life outside of hibiscus, but I think the ultimate opportunity is building a category for hibiscus. Got it. So time to go deeper. I've been there. That's, that's terrifying. Let's go, you <laughs> I've been there, Noah. I don't need to ask you about the trials of being an entrepreneur, but for our seven hatters, our listeners, who are thinking, <laughs> and I pause for a second, who are thinking of embarking on this journey of becoming an entrepreneur from a entrepreneur, which is where I was, or are already knee deep, can you share your initial dreams when you declared, okay, world, I'm starting a CPG beverage business, it's going to be Ruby. How did those dreams measure up against the reality of getting a CPG brand off the ground? I don't, I don't know that anything can prepare you for getting it <laughs> off the ground. No, I, people are going to tell you. People are going to be like, this is hard. You're, you're getting into the most competitive industry in the world. They're, they're not going to sugarcoat it. But you, you go in blindly and you cross your fingers and hope for the best. But it's, I mean, am I allowed to curse on your podcast? You can curse all you want. No. Beautiful. It's fucking hell. I mean, it's it's brutal. It's all-encompassing. There's never downtime, period. There's always some fire drill going on. If you've chosen beverage, you've chosen a, a business that essentially will never be profitable. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's hell. It's absolute hell. And I had people who really did try to warn me that it would be. But you again, I, I, I have done this also with other entrepreneurs. I've been like, run the other direction, guys. Like, this is... This ain't a party. And they still do it. You you have to, I mean, hopefully you don't have to, but if you're psychotic like me, you have to, and you just need to find out. Do you have a vision for Ruby? What's the roadmap look like if it's so difficult right now? Are you, are you ready for the additional hurdles that come from taking shelf space from these mega companies that have a lot of money to market with? Yeah. There's the Tyson quote where it's everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that's that's what this is. Like, I, I'm going to see this through, period, because that's who I am. And because, you know, we got to see what's on the other side either way, period. I can't say that there's a full-fledged plan. There's a vision and there's a belief and there's the idea of what could be success if we achieve that vision. But the idea, you know, my, my, my first year, when I first launched, I had Whole Foods pre-launch. And I remember, you know, it was April and I was like, well, what's next, baby? Time to go get Wegmans. <laughs> and then you realize real quick, it's like, nope, review cycle. Congratulations. Your revenue planner is fucked. Like, you need to find a way of scheduling 12 months in advance in this industry. For sure. And yeah. And if you don't land that target, you got punched in the face and you need, you need to create a new plan. Did you bootstrap or did you raise funds? What did it look like? I bootstrapped up through launch. I had raised around prior to launch and I let my investors know that I wasn't going to touch it until we did launch. Uh -huh. So yeah, we, we only work with angels and strategics and we have a great group of investors. Are you looking to raise more funds? Are you on that rat trap of continuing to raise funds or are you looking to get profitable and continue on bootstrapping? Even, even if we were getting too profitable, we'd still need to raise. 
the 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 thing about profitability and beverage, and you know this, Yuval, is, is the POs get bigger not only from your retailer but from your co-packer too. Yeah. So you can take on a ton of debt if you want, but arbitraging that risk with having investors who do want obviously upside of a great business is probably an easier way of sleeping at night. But yeah, the rat race goes on. I don't know a single founder that's never not raising at any given point, even if they don't have a round open. You know, there was a very smart founder I spoke to who he's just like, I always have a note open, period, opportunistically. Wow, that's crazy. At the end of the day, you need way more money than you think you do. I mean, a lot of founders tell me what they're raising and I'm just like, please three exit because otherwise you're not gonna be able to spend enough time focusing on the business. You're gonna be too stressed about where the next check is coming from. It's so difficult in this space. So done a little research on you and you got some good quotes out there in the- <laughs> I give good quote. <laughs> you give good quote, yeah, you give good quote. So in the Rubyverse, you say, disrupt from within. And that seems a little fascinating to me and I didn't know what you were talking about. So can you delve into what that means for you? Honestly, out of context, I have no idea what I mean by that. <laughs> no, I assume I mean disrupt within the industry. And that's like what we try to bring with Ruby to our tactics is just there's a very traditional, clear playbook in CPG. And we look at it and we look at the different tactics we can take, especially with field marketing, as you know, you've all. Of course. And we just push a little bit. We just we turn it sideways and we say, is there something if we just look at it at a slightly different angle, is there opportunity there? And it's just that extra push that I think gives us hopefully a leg up. I do say that we can make $1 look like $10 better than most brands. Yes, you do. So that's I, I think that's probably what I meant from disrupting from within, but who knows? And even your website, it's kind of cool. It's very techy. It's not CPG-ish, which I love. It's very yeah. marketing Madison Avenue type of site. So very cool. You know, the thing about, and you alluded to getting kicked in the nuts 50 times a day and having to get yep. up. There's some powerful insights about embracing the challenging odds of entrepreneurship. Because I'm not going to let you off that easy. Can you take us back to one or more particular moments where you really felt the odds? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. Look, I mean, the, the real answer is every day, man. Like, Especially lately, the last few weeks, I've just been like, every day you wake up and you're like, shit, I got to do this again. And how I deal with that is I talk to people, like I'm very open about it. And I, I, that's how I constructively kind of problem challenge, uh, problem solve, <laughs> not problem challenge. That's what I'm going <laughs> through. But like today, you know, I, I, I had to go out to New Jersey to see a bunch of Whole Foods and do some demos out there. And I woke up feeling horrible. I felt like I got hit by a truck this morning. And like the last thing I want to do is get in my freaking car and go to Whole Foods and set up a demo table. But I did it. But on the drive back to the city, I was just like, God, I feel so blue. Like I just feel <laughs> out of it. I feel down. And I called Paul Vogie from Ourobora, who's an amazing beverage founder yes. and I really respect. And we wrapped for 45 minutes. And nice. like, you know, he, he gives me his insight. I give him mine, but we also talk about just life, man. Like that's, that's how we get through all of this. I imagine that we have these things that we get to look forward to that are, that are bigger than what we're doing in this microcosm of a business. That's funny. You mentioned mentors. Yeah. How important 
are mentors, especially when you start a business. How has mentorship contributed to at least where you are today and your success? For my success period, massively. I'm someone who's always looked for mentorship in every single role I do. At Sotheby's, the best part of Sotheby's was the mentorship. I Uh got to learn from exceptional executives. That was just like invaluable. In CPG, there's mentorship, but there's peers. And peers will mentor you, by the way, and you will mentor peers. The peer part is the most important part for me, period. Being able to talk to Paul from Ouroboros, Katie from Belly Welly. I saw a Nook last night from oh, Belgian nice. Boys. Yeah, and she's amazing. Yeah, and like they're you know, all great. Yeah, they're, but they're genuinely just good human beings. They're they're super uber uber smart. So there's one hundred percent mentorship. But there are these people that like it's exactly what you're talking about, man. Like we all get punched in the face every day, and it's like, how are you coping? What's your mechanism? What's the answer for you? And, and what was the timeline? Like a nook is years ahead of me. Yeah. And to be able to say, you know, like I'm a baby. I'm just after two years. How the fuck did you do this? Yeah. And to hear very sincerely, like it doesn't get easier until it does. It's a helpful realization. Everyone thinks that like hockey stick growth is a reality and it's not. It's the farthest thing from a reality. Well, I tell people all the time because that's why young entrepreneurs start a business because they see, let's say, if we stay in CPG, Beyond Meat as an example. All of a sudden, they're at Expo. No one knows who the hell they are. My wife is in line for three hours trying to get more samples. And I spoke with her. I'm like, you never wait in line. I don't care if it's a five-star Michelin restaurant, you're not going to wait in line. And you're here for three hours? She's like, it's that good. But (laughs) I got to be honest with you. I knew they're going to be successful, but that's where everybody falters. They look at Beyond Meat and they're like, oh, they raised $500 million and they went IPO. But that happens, you know, what percentage of time? Zero. Yeah. Everyone else struggles. And at every point, you mentioned too, it's difficult until it isn't. It's just different problems that that we face on a daily basis. All right. So moving on in terms of your routine, is there a certain habit that you believe significantly contributed to your current success right now? I think the few off the top of my head are, are talking to people, period. Uh, I'm someone that learns conversationally. So again, like going back to that example with Sotheby's where I was like, okay, here's the idea. Uh-huh. I just started cold emailing, you know, Sandro from Sanzo and Tommy from Sound Tees. And these were people I didn't know who were good enough to lend me their time and talk to me about this business. And I learned a ton from that. You know, network effects is really important to me. Otherwise, reading, you know, reading oh, wow. mellows me out. Nice. Yeah. And I'm an obsessive reader. So that's, you know, I'm constantly learning, but it, I love speculative fiction. It, it helps me think about bigger things beyond the real world. So I would say reading and just network effects. That's awesome. Those are two main ones. I think networking is huge for me too. And I think it's important if any entrepreneur out there, especially founders and CEOs, if they're going to get away without networking, they're really in the wrong mindset. So if you can travel back, what sage advice would you give yourself? Uh, two answers. The first one, I don't think you're going to accept, which is fun. <laughs> um, the first one, the first one is don't do this. Like, yeah. just don't, it's just don't do this. And I mean that, like I, if I had a time machine, I wouldn't do this again, but, but realistic, like if I'm doing this, if, if that's the, like we live in that world, 
I would probably tell myself to take it really slowly. When you say really slowly, in what sense? Start in your backyard, figure out if there is a way to do this profitably, or if there's a way to at least improve EBITDA from mm-hmm. the get-go. Going going big from the get-go, yeah, it's sexy, it's appealing. You get to post on LinkedIn and on Instagram and everyone you know, gives you the claps. But my belief, and I said this from the get-go, but it's hard to listen to, is brand penetration is based on survival. You can't buy brand penetration. You no. can try, but it's going to cost you way more money than you're going to be able to raise. For the most Coca-Cola cost. buys brand penetration. You can't. And Coca-Cola bought infrastructure. I mean, Coca-Cola is a brand that's been around for 100 years and has shaped how CPG actually works now. So they're not, you know, brand penetration is probably the smallest thing they buy. They, they own distribution in the world, and rightfully True. so, because they're a legacy business. But I think that a lot of companies are just like, look, you, you said it, like, it's a two to three year time horizon. No, 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 no. Like, it's five to seven when you start to experience success. Start to. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. I know we're short on time. Let me just finalize a couple of things because I want to move from the CPG startup world to a couple of topics that I think are very important to the seven hatters. One is hat number one, which is self-love balance mindset. And hat number three is relationship with others. So in this stressful world of yours, how do you maintain balance? How do you get that mindset to a point where you're taking care of yourself. I don't I don't know if I have the answer on that. Like I'm I'm working on that part in a bigger way. So what are your challenges? I mean my challenges are that I don't have the answer for myself. I, I don't know like you know, this is a, an example I've been bringing up lately is I spoke to a very successful founder, um, someone who I would aspire for Ruby to be a business like the one he has. Uh-huh. And I got on the phone with him and I was asking for advice and how I meant it was like, I need tactical advice. Like how do I execute sales? How do I grow thoughtfully, et cetera. And he was just like, enjoy this. (laughs) Like not everyone gets to start their own business. This is a huge privilege. Like you thought about something and then you created it and people are allowing you to do that. And rationally I can accept that, but emotionally I'm struggling to find the joy in it. So that's that's a journey that I'm on right now. I can tell you like very sincerely like I'm I'm starting to run in the mornings and that's helping and clearing my head, but I don't I don't have the answer right now. That's something I'm really working on right now. Well, when you have the answer, you'll come back and tell us. How's I'm that? Down. What about relationships? Any advice on relationships as an entrepreneur because that's usually the tough one as well. Like usually it's financial and distress of the business, but I haven't met one entrepreneur who didn't have issues with relationships. Any advice there? I can tell you how I deal with it Uh and it works for me. And that's the most important thing is finding out how it works for you. Of course. For, for me, I I have to communicate like, uh, you know, I I talked to my family this week. I talked to my wife today and I tell them, I'm like, I'm in a fucked up way. Like I really, I feel down. I feel blue. I feel like I'm just getting punched in the head left and right. And we talk it out. And sometimes that gives me answers. Sometimes it just helps for me to verbalize it. But I, I really need to talk about these things. That's how I deal with it. But yeah, like I've, I've got friends, though, who are founders. And, and I talked with one. And I remember this conversation clearly. We, we had a meal. And she was like, I don't know, man. Like, I'm just friends with founders now. 
Like my other friends don't get it. And I know what she means. Like I most likely come off as a real mope a lot of the time. Like seriously, like here I am just complaining. Oh man, my, my business, I get to start a business and it's so hard. But, uh, legit you you don't know what it's like unless you do it and that can cause conflict with relationships because a lot of people are like why aren't you enjoying this and you're like ah i'm just not breaking through to you yeah so i think it you know choose your people they're they're friends that are close of yours like and they're not getting it don't try to bang it over the head their friendship means something different for you and recognize that but for me yeah like i verbalize it with everyone close to me and i find out who can handle it and I find out uh, <laughs> what their limits are because I think limit. one I pushed it this week, and they were like, "Okay, man, you're you're just whining." And I was like, "Ah, fair enough." Yeah, yeah you're bowing me out. I think communication is key, and over communication is better than under communication. I've been with my wife now twenty years already, since two thousand and four when I met her, and we started business right away. So we've been through hell and back in so many yeah. ways. Did you get the support that you needed from your wife? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, I won the lottery on that side. Uh, my wife is the greatest person in the world, period. Yeah. Um, so I feel very comfortable, you know, telling her everything I'm going through and, and hope she does too for me. And I, I think she does. But uh, yeah, I, aspirationally, like I remember at Sotheby's, David, who was the CMO who hired me, I remember we'd be in all these meetings and we'd be meeting all these fascinating people. And David's a really smart guy. But at the end of the meeting, he'd be like, Listen, I know I'm great. Like, <laughs> I know I'm great. And it's great that you're meeting with me. But you know who you really need to meet is my wife. Like, she is awesome. And, and that set a framework for me of like, all right, I need to find a relationship where I feel that way about the person I spend my life with. And I fully did. Yeah. When you don't get support, everything you spoke about, the shitty side of entrepreneurship and how difficult it is, is magnified about 10x. Yeah. So having that support at least makes it bearable in some way and allows you to keep going. And I, like you, my wife is an angel. Yeah. So <laughs> we're at the end and I have one question to close out my segment. And the question is, who did you have to stop being and who did you need to become to manifest your current success? I, the thing I deal with a lot is the idea of ambition versus priorities. Yes. And I think that when I started Ruby, my ambition was leading the charge, not my priorities. Mm. And I think that the ability to even define that and to recognize that those two things, those two lanes are separate. They, they might fork, they might intertwine, but they are really separate for the most part in just making sure that you have the buckets really clear on what sits where. So I don't know if that was exactly an answer to your question, Yuval, but but that's that's a big focus for me because, again, it's a different definition of success, which aligns more with my priorities now than my ambition. I love it. Where can we find you? Where all the seven hatters are like, I want to try some Ruby. I got to speak oh, with yeah. Noah. There are probably <laughs> thousands of people listening that are going to say, man, this shit's hard. You got to write him a love card. Where could they write you some support cards, Noah? Love letters would be welcome, uh, especially, or support cards, rather. No yeah. love letters. Please. No love letters. No, scratch love letters. Support cards. You know, easiest place is DM me at Ruby for fun on Instagram. 
or you can find me on LinkedIn at Noah Wunsch. You can find Ruby in a lot of places. You can find it on Amazon. You can find it on Ruby.fun, F-U-N. You can find it on Fresh Direct, Thrive Market, at your local Whole Foods, Earth Fair, Fresh Time, Central Market, lots of places, Erewhon, Lassen's. Go get some Ruby. Make your life better. It's a good thing. Let me tell you something, oh Noah. God. What I will say is, and what I love about you, is that you are real. You are vulnerable. You are not one of those entrepreneurs on Instagram that puts up a face and says, look how successful I am, and then cries in the bathroom in fetal position right after the shoot is over. You tell it like it is, but the good news is that no matter how difficult this journey is, if you have a mission, if you have a product, if you have a service that you feel the world needs, first, listen to Noah and understand what you're about to embark. And if you are still ready to give up your life for this mission, I would say go for it because you only live once and you don't want to regret anything. It's better to fail miserably like I did and look back and say, you know what? I gave it my all. I learned a lot. It was sucky. I hated it. <laughs> but you know what? It's worth it if you have the balls to do it. So Noah, such a pleasure having you on the show. I know the seven hairs are going to absolutely love you in the episode. It's real and raw. Thank you again for gracing us yeah, on the seven hats. Yeah, it's my pleasure. And seriously, on, on your point, totally agree. If you do go for it and you need some advice, hit me up LinkedIn. Just send me a DM. We'll hop on a call. It's all about paying it forward. Appreciate it. Of course, man. Be well. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Noah. Let's end today with the show segment that I refer to as what can we hang our hat on? And here is my takeaway. This episode touched a nerve with me as Noah and I spoke about the arduous journey of entrepreneurship, a path rampant with potential pitfalls and difficulties. Embarking on the entrepreneurial journey is much like venturing into uncharted territory, akin to pioneers of the famous gold rush. The common thread here is the element of risk-taking. Starting a business is not a venture for the faint of heart. It demands a willingness to take significant financial and personal risks. In the world of entrepreneurship, success is not always guaranteed. It's a realm where failure is a possibility and sometimes a recurring visitor. Yet in this space, the spirit of resilience is cultivated and the sweetest victories are born from the ashes of failed attempts. Life as an entrepreneur is often a dance of uncertainty and instability. The ground beneath you can feel shaky, especially in the early stages. But rather than letting this unsteadiness topple you, it's essential to use it as a motivation to build an adaptable and resilient foundation. Remember, it's not about avoiding the storm, but learning to dance in the rain. I'll say it again. It's not about avoiding the storm, but learning to dance in the rain. With entrepreneurship comes personal sacrifices. The quest for success often translates into long hours and compromised work-life balance. It's important to remember that while the journey to success may be important, relationships and personal health also sustain us. In our pursuit of success, we must not lose ourselves. The entrepreneurial journey represents a steep learning curve. It involves acquiring new skills, dealing with the unknowns, and most importantly, learning from failures. This education isn't always easy, but it's crucial to growth. 
don't shy away from these learning moments. They are the stepping stones to success. Finally, amid these challenges, mental health can often take a backseat. When combined with risk, uncertainty, sacrifice, and the constant need for learning, the pressures of running a business can take a toll. It's crucial to recognize these struggles and prioritize self-care. After all, you're one of the most valuable assets in your business. So, to all entrepreneurs, remember this. Your journey is as unique as your destination and every challenge that you face is an opportunity for growth. So stay mindful, stay courageous, and most importantly, take care of yourself on the journey. Because when the journey is tough, you know what they say, the tough get going. I want to thank Noah once again for joining me so that we can all benefit from his wisdom. And until next time, if you found this episode helpful, please hit that subscribe button and tell other entrepreneurs out there what value you received from it so that we can attract even more high quality people into our Seven Hats community. So for now, I will bid you farewell and success on your journey. And until next time, my name is Yuval Selick and I tip my hat to you.